Hello there, friends. Today we are returning to the Gospel account of Luke. And today's passage for us comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Hear now God's word for us. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for Jesus' brilliance and his insight and the words he has for us today. Would you guide us in this time? May we have ears to hear and eyes to see all that it is you long for us to be and do as we seek to follow Jesus more faithfully and wholly. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us first. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I have been waiting for this moment for a long time. I mean, how many times have you thought, have you said, have you prayed, oh God, may you please just get rid of 2020. Can 2021 finally be here? Well, the ball dropped um, in New York with some smaller, slightly pathetic gatherings uh, in New York City. And here we are in 2021. And what's changed? Unfortunately, not a lot. It's still cold. There's still COVID. And a lot of people are still quite cantankerous. Now, that's not going to be forever, right? A vaccine is on its way. Spring is coming. And of course, Easter is on the horizon. But a change in calendar actually has not brought about a change in climate. And frankly, it's in these moments and moments exactly like this where we might be most tempted to, as we heard Jesus describe, lose heart. We might be tempted to lose heart in loving our neighbors as ourselves. We might be tempted to lose heart to even love the church, the bride of Christ. We might be tempted to actually lose heart in self-care, taking care of our bodies in the midst of this, asking ourselves why bother, and we might even, we might even begin to lose heart in loving God himself. Because when things don't change, we begin to ask, does God even care? I mean, what is he thinking through all this anyway? And, and listen, even though these are very unique aspects for us today, this is not an uncommon place for Jesus' people to find themselves in. And so Jesus, in all of his compassion, he actually meets us here in all of our waiting and all of our wondering. And here's the question we're going to seek to answer this morning as we come to this brilliant text in Luke chapter 18. How do we not lose heart when so little changes? How do we not lose heart when so little changes? It feels like a pretty pertinent question for us today, doesn't it? Well, let's take a look at Luke chapter 18, and what we're going to see is that Jesus gives us something to know and something to do, but as is the case with all true and good things, it's rarely, it's rarely quite that simple, okay? So let's look at what Jesus wants us to know 
and what he wants us to do in Luke chapter 18. As we saw in the parable that Jesus told, there are basically two main characters. Now, the first character is a judge, and, and frankly, he's just the worst. He neither fears God nor has any respect for humanity. And instantly you begin to feel the tension, like how is this guy going to bring about justice? How is justice ever going to be done in this town with this kind of judge? Now, the second character we meet is a widow. She's the most vulnerable. Widows are the most vulnerable in their society alongside of orphans. For starters, she's a woman, so she has little to no standing in a broader court. Secondly, she's a widow. Her husband has passed and so is without little to no social connection and provision and no way to earn a living. The fact that she has to come to the court is already an insight that someone is taking advantage of her vulnerable state. We have a widow here who is experiencing great injustice. And the, re the reality is, is that they're getting away with it. You see, the judge, this awful, awful judge, is ignoring her pleas for justice. He didn't care. And so what she do? She, she, she leverages the only resource she has available to her, her voice. And she does so with great persistence again and again. And again, she comes to the judge begging, pleading, contending, fighting for justice. Now, we don't know how long this went on for, but we do know what she was asking for. Justice for what is right to actually prevail in her community as it pertains to her own well-being. Now the judge finally listens to her and he gives her justice. But the, the question that's prevailing is, is why does he finally do this? Because if he's truly the worst kind of judge, why? Why does he finally listen? Not because actually of any fear of God or compassion to humankind. It's not that he sparked into becoming a better human being. Rather, he looked down the road and knew this wasn't going to stop. And so selfishly, he wants silence. He wanted to spare himself from her annoying visits. That's the reason he finally gives her justice. Then Jesus gives us an interpretation. And frankly, when you're first looking at this and you think about the preamble of teaching us how to pray and to not lose heart, you may be expecting Jesus to highlight the widow first and foremost. I mean, what an example of faithfulness and perseverance. But that's not where Jesus goes, not at first. You see, Jesus, he zeroes our focus in on the despicable judge. Look with me here again at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. On to verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you. He will give justice to them speedily. You see, Jesus knows one of the most important motivators of perseverance in your life and mine is what we believe about God when things that are unexpected happen. When we're tempted to give up or give in, to lose art, when all the whispers of doubt trickle in, this is what Jesus wants us to know. This is really important. He wants us to know that God will make it right. God will make it right. And the why behind this is essential. Because to be clear, we can come to this text and we can come with a whole host of assumptions as to why God will make it right. But Jesus is making it abundantly clear that it's not because we've manipulated him. It's not because we've badgered him or prayed enough or done enough good, need, good deeds that finally Jesus pays attention to us or the Father pays attention to us. 
Jesus actually gives us the reason why through what is called a how much more argument. This was a really common argument in the first century among rabbis and teachers. And this is how it works, okay? Jesus is basically saying, if an unrighteous judge who doesn't care anything for justice, for God, or for humanity, will finally, after much delay and badgering, finally give justice, how much more will God who is righteous, who is good, who is a loving heavenly father, actually answer the pleas of his people. Here's Jesus' point. God will make it right because God is the good judge. That's what we are to see and understand about God's character. He is not one bit like the unrighteous judge. The unrighteous judge avoids responsibility. God does not avoid justice. God doesn't look for what's in it for him before he acts. He sees those who are overlooked. He hears the prayers of his people. While the unrighteous judge may delay giving justice, God responds when they call. His ways may not be our ways and our timing, his timing may not be our timing, but God can always be counted on to pursue what is our best, what is in our best interest. And you see whatever else is running through your heart and mind at this moment. When we're tempted to lose heart, when we may be frustrated by the timeline, when we may be exhausted with the waiting or the persevering acts of love, Jesus wants to remind us in no uncertain terms of who our God is. And that's at the heart of what the Apostle Paul claims in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is a really well-known passage where he says, And we know, that's those who are followers of Jesus, that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not that we're promised an easy life. Not that things are always going to go our way. But because of who God is in his character, we can have confidence he's working to answer our pleas. Yes, even our pleas for justice. Listen, if we start to think of God in any lesser way than our loving Heavenly Father, then we are almost guaranteed to lose hope. So may we remember what Jesus wants us to know here, that in the face of injustice, in the face of pain, in the face of waiting, in the face of heartache, God will make it right because God is the good judge. But that's not where Jesus ends his teaching with something for us to know. Look at the end of chapter 18, verse 8 again. After anchoring us in the character of God, Jesus says, verse 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, this may seem like it's coming out of nowhere, and you may be thinking, wait, what are you talking about, Jesus? Why end here? And this is why this is so important to never pull a text out of its surrounding context. To understand the meaning of any particular text, you have to understand the broader context, what comes before and what is coming after. And if you look at the passage just previous, in chapter 17, verses 20 through 37, what is Jesus talking about? But his coming kingdom. How it will come, that it will come, and it's in this context that those who have been praying what he taught us to pray earlier in Luke chapter 11, your kingdom come! Where those who have been praying and seeking and waiting and looking and longing for his kingdom to come and to bring justice the world over when the faithful are tired of praying tempted to lose heart, that it's going to come at all. 
then we can make sense of what Jesus says here at the end of this little pericope. In other words, Jesus is saying, in spite of all of what I've just said about God's character, when I, God's chosen king, come with my kingdom in full force, will anyone actually be ready for it? You see, God's character is certain, but our readiness is not. And so I want to invite us to make an honest assessment of our lives today. As we enter into 2021, we have to ask ourselves honestly, do you think, as you kind of purport or just kind of look at what's coming down the pike, will Jesus find people ready for his kingdom? Now, what do I mean by ready? Well, the question there is anchored in what does Jesus mean by finding faith? Faith is not just an idea or a series of ideological truths. It really describes a way of living. Jesus is not asking here, will he find people who will say one day that Jesus died for me full stop but has no impact on their broader life and purpose? Jesus is asking, will he find people who are trusting in me even when it seems darkest? Will they still be contending for my kingdom? Will they still be living in allegiance to me? Will they be living into my kingdom's values even though they inhabit yet another kingdom that will one day fall? Will they be resting in my grace that both saves them and animates them for my purposes? Will they be enduring, waiting, watching for me when I come in all my fullness, understanding that the world is aching for my kingdom yet to come in full? This is the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. And here Jesus makes it abundantly clear what we are to do. We are to be ready for his kingdom. Be ready for his kingdom. Now, at this point, what, this is what I would normally do. I, I would normally talk about prayer and faithfulness and the everyday. And frankly, those are really, really important. We should be praying. We should be what's called contending or wrestling in prayer and action for God's kingdom to come. But I think we actually have a bigger problem before we even get to that particular action item. I wonder if the problem isn't just that we have, haven't sought to be ready for his kingdom. It's that we're actually waiting and looking for the wrong kingdom altogether. What if what folks are hoping God will make right one day has nothing to do with what God wants? Frankly, there's nothing more exhausting than waiting and looking for something that will never appear. And so here's my question for us. What if we're contending for the wrong kind of kingdom? You know, over this past year, it has been difficult for sure, but it has also been very revealing and revealing as it pertains to our faith. You see, so I saw people contending, praying, but slowly realized people who are praying in Jesus' name, using those words, are praying for very different outcomes, means, realities, and values than what I see on the Gospels. A lot of people who claim Jesus have very different visions of his kingdom, and so different visions of King Jesus himself, for the two are deeply intertwined. And many of these versions have nothing to do with what we see reported by those who knew him best, by those who actually wrote the historical accounts of the Gospels and the various letters in the New Testament. Why is that the case? What's going on here? Well, for two reasons. I, I believe we have been misinformed and malformed. Both are crucial when it comes to understanding where we've missed it. 
Maybe one of the greatest plagues is that we have been more informed by how our favorite quote-unquote news media outlets define right rather than God's Word. We use broader pop culture as the lens at which we approach Scripture rather than Scripture as the broader lens as to where we project our hopes, dreams, and values. We've adopted maybe some bizarre ideologies inflamed by online echo chambers void of good biblical framing both in the content of the argument as well as the way in which people engage each other in that content. For some of us, that meant that we have turned our political party into an idol and demonized those on the other side. For some, justice, actually what the widow is crying for here and what actually Jesus himself encourages us to pray for, had become a swear word to so many. For others, mask wearing had become an identity statement or not wearing a mask became an identity statement. And fear of others became the primary motivator for our behavior. We've compartmentalized and minimized the biblical text in order to support our polarizing stances. And this happens partly because even our approach to the text before we begin to read the text is a bit skewed. We come to the text with a Western individualistic framing, which was foreign to the original authors and original hearers of Scripture. And we all too easily apply Scripture in ways that would have been foreign to their thinking. We then are left with just a me and Jesus gospel that cuts the kingdom right out of it. So how are we to expect some healthy and robust biblical teaching on God's kingdom if we see that it is unnecessary? Rather, we need to return to Luke's gospel together and rediscover Jesus' kingdom. Last year, we began this journey through the gospel account of Luke, and we saw how Jesus was announced in chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, as the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This year, we're finishing to out seeking to understand more deeply the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed, the gospel of the kingdom. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, the good news or the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus himself was proclaiming and bringing. Now, I'm convinced we've missed what Jesus has to teach us here. And it has left so many Christians confused and disappointed with where we are. And so as we're praying and as we're trusting in our good God, I want to invite you to join us as we continue through the gospel account of Luke to rediscover Jesus's kingdom. Will you join us with that? But to, but to be clear, you know, it's not just about misinformation. It's not just about getting the right information. It's also about formation. Really crucial. You see, the truth, of course, can set us free. This is really important. But when we don't have the ears to hear, which Jesus addresses many a times throughout the gospel accounts, then truth can actually fall on deaf ears and enslavement will remain. It's not just about God's ends, but also God's means and how that kingdom comes that is essential for us to understand from a gospel perspective. We've allowed too many external forces of the world to play the role of validating and determining who we are becoming, which is a central characteristic of what God wants to do in our lives. You see, in our isolation, in our fear-mongering, these spaces have colored our view of ourselves in really self-destructive ways, as well as, as well as others. With increasing backbiting of friends, people leaving churches, relationships falling apart and completely 
disintegrating over really small issues that should be resolved in reconciliation. We need to re-engage in spiritual practices together that shape us into the kind of people Jesus wants us to be. People ready to receive his kingdom. And this is why starting on January 17th, we're going to be launching a new resource called TheFormed.Life. And you can actually go online now and sign up. You've heard about it for the past couple weeks. You'll receive daily guidance in your inbox on how we're seeking to grow in Jesus' practices together. Because that's where the Holy Spirit does some of his most magnificent work. is not just in the truth and the precepts that Jesus teaches, but also in the practices that Jesus models. You see, our goal here is to equip God's people in God's practices for God's glory every day. Now, just as we've been promised a vaccine that will immunize, immunize, there you go, immunize us against COVID-19, if we're willing to take it, so we're promised in these spiritual practices, we'll be sharing with you a way of strengthening each of us spiritually and building up our immunity to the plague of sin that is absolutely decimating our world. If we want to be ready for Jesus' kingdom, it's not just about information, although that is important, but also formation in the ways of Jesus. So I hope you join us in the formed.life this year. Because listen, we're all tempted, if we circle back around to the beginning, to lose heart. Especially now. I mean, Christmas, which is something I absolutely love, is behind us, and winter is just getting started. But let's start this new year with a deeper hope in who God is. May we remember God will make it right because he himself is the good judge. And let's contend for his kingdom. Let's pray for it. Let's fight for it. Let's seek for it. Let's work towards it. Let's endure. But let's also let him define what that means and not bring our categories from the external world to Jesus's purposes. This is going to require some confession and repentance, but that's a, a clear mark of a disciple is continued confession and repentance. So may we be ready. May we know his kingdom of which we are contending, and may we become the kind of people who will actually be able to receive it only by his grace that saves us down to the core and empowers us to every nook and cranny of our lives. Only then will we be ready. Let's go ahead and pray together. God, we pray that you would guide us in faithfulness in this present age. We need you to help us to discern truth from falsehood and distortion from transformation. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us in faithfulness and fruitfulness for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom purposes. May you help us as a people to have greater clarity around your kingdom, not just your ends, but also your means and the kind of people you want us to become as we walk with you. God, we long to surrender to you as our king, to submit to you as the king of a glorious kingdom where justice and righteousness kiss for all eternity. And so, God, help us, guide us by the power of your Spirit and discernment. God, we invite every one of us now to pray the prayer you've taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, now we turn to a meal that reminds us of our King. And through common broken bread, we remember his body broken. And as co through common juice, we remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, all that we might know reconciliation with him and the purposes of his kingdom to go forth. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have these elements available to you, I'd encourage you to grab those who are around you and to partake in remembrance of Christ. But as we do so, may we do so in line with what has been handed down to us. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready, let's feast and remember our King. <laughs> 